we have a crisis in the world, tremendous crisis, and also crisis in our consciousness, in us. I see the urgency of change, radical revolution, mutation in the mind. I see it. It is necessary. There is complete quietness of the mind, and that which is silent has vast space. Only then that which is nameless comes into being. This is Urgency of Change, the Krishnamurti podcast. If there is no escape of any kind, what is left? Hello and welcome to episode 224 of Urgency of Change. Each episode of the Krishnamurti podcast features carefully selected extracts from the archives. The aim is to represent different aspects of Krishnamurti's radical approach to many of the issues and questions we all face in our lives. This week's theme is Escapes. Upcoming themes are reality, will, and emptiness. This is a podcast from Krishnamurti Foundation Trust, based at Brockwood Park in the UK, which is also home to the Krishnamurti Centre. The centre offers a variety of group retreats from February to December, including for young adults. The atmosphere is one of openness and friendliness, with a sense of freedom to inquire with others and alone please visit krishnamurticentre.org.uk for more information. You can also find our regular quotes and videos on Instagram, TikTok and Facebook at Krishnamurti Foundation Trust. If you enjoy the podcast, please leave a review or rating on your podcast app. This helps our visibility. This week's episode on escapes has four sections. This first extract is from Krishnamurti's seventh talk in Madras, 1964, titled Our Escapes Become Problems. For most of us, life has become a problem. The very act of living. Living, I mean by that word, going to the office, seeing the squalor in the street, the utter misery of man, poverty, negligence, squalor, the innumerable insults we receive, the joys, the pleasures, the anxiety, the despair, the affections, the sympathy, and ultimately that thing called death. That's the whole of, of our life, that's part of our existence. And as we don't understand it, as everything that we touch become, becomes a problem, I mean by problem something that is not resolved immediately and carried over for the next day, Our whole life is a problem. 
and not being able to solve them, we try to run away. And sex is one of the things that we run away and escape, because intellectually, emotionally, in every way, we are uncreative. We are second-hand, there is nothing original. There is nothing pristine, clear, beautiful, unspoiled, untrammeled. We are second-hand. All our education is repetition of something that we have merely acquired as information. To get a job, to earn a livelihood. And therefore it becomes, life becomes a terrible border. Or we try to give significance to life. We say, what is the purpose of living? As though living has a purpose. You live richly, completely, fully. There is no purpose. Beauty has no purpose. But our life being what it is, tawdry, empty, without much meaning in the very act of everything that we do, we are bored. And I don't think we realize how bored we are. That's why religious organizations exist to escape from this boredom, from this loneliness from this shallow existence. There are these innumerable swamis, yogis, and all the rest of that business. Naturally, we are blocked everywhere, if you observe. And sex is the only escape for most of us. And having that escape, that becomes an astonishing problem, moral problem, that is right or wrong, and so on. And then we get caught up in it. Without understanding the bondages that mind is laden, bound, and breaking through them, that is to be free, both intellectually, emotionally, understanding the whole field of desire, the innumerable appetites, without understanding and breaking through them, there is only one release, sex. And we worship that in different forms, as beauty as taste, morality, the things should be and should not be. Please, uh, we are talking not about something outrageous, something theoretical, but your life. And when you escape, 
the thing you to which you escape to becomes more important than the thing from which you are escaping. So sex becomes important, as God becomes important, or non-God, because we want to find significance in life, the ultimate significance, the ultimate peace, the permanency, everlasting something from in which time is not and so on, all the innumerable theories, because we are escaping. And the more you can escape, the more one thinks one is religious. <coughs> when you so completely identify yourself with an idea called God, an idea, it's not a reality. Because you, you cannot possibly, under any circumstances, identify with yourself with reality. If you do, it is not real. Because to perceive reality, your mind must be completely free from all these things which make you identify, which is fear. So, we want to identify ourselves with the nation, with the family, with the community, with a particular form of commitment of social activity. And ultimately with the state, or if if the state is not fashionable, then you identify yourself with God. This identification through organized religion or through your own particular fancy of what God is, your particular mythology, and your particular vision of that mythology, and identifying with that, is another escape. And therefore the people who so completely identify themselves with the state, with the nation, with God, with some activity, they have certain form of neurotic energy. But that energy is destructive, deteriorating, contradictory. So one has to be aware of this fact that there is always this desire to identify with a group, with an idea, with a with a particular person, and so on, so on, so on. Because when you identify, when you escape, when you identify with yourself with something, 
when you escape, when, when there are problems, you are losing energy. And a mind that would, en- would go into this question of what is reality, what is the religious mind, must be free from every form of boredom, escape, escape in all its multitudinous forms, not just one form, including your churches, gods, religions, your gurus, every one of them. Because then alone, if you cease to escape, and I hope you are listening and therefore realizing your escapes and putting an end to those escapes immediately, not tomorrow. If you postpone, that's also an escape. from facing the fact of your commitment. Whether to our commitment to beauty, to music, to literature, to social work, because this commitment, this escape, this boredom prevents you from seeing yourself actually as you are. Because if you understand as you are actually, then you come to an ultimate thing, which is your this sense of complete loneliness. Because most of us, by our activities, by our thoughts, by the culture in which we are born, by our thoughts, we isolate ourselves. Though we live in a, with a family, with a wife and children, in a society, in a community, and talk about brotherhood, tolerance, friendship, love, and all the rest of the words that we use endlessly. If you go beyond those words inwardly, there is this this loneliness. And from there begins all the escapes. And to face that loneliness, understand it, not run away from it, to understand and live with it as you would live with a tree, with a cloud, with a with squalor, to live with it. Then out of that living comes beauty. The second extract is from the third talk in Madras, 1974, titled 
the futility of escapes. I suffer. I'm taking this as an example. I suffer for various reasons, and I'm not very interested in the cause of, of that suffering. The actual fact is I'm suffering. My son, my wife, my brother, my uh, everything is taken away from me. And I'm left lonely, isolated, having no relationship with another, bound to my own sorrow. And knowing that the cause of it has no value, as one discovery I have made. Discovery, not I have been told, therefore it's first-hand I have discovered for myself that the mere search for the cause of sorrow is not the ending of sorrow. It's on the contrary, it is time-binding away from the fact of sorrow. And I see my mind wants to escape from it, because I can't understand it, what's involved, what's the significance, what's the meaning of it. So it wants to escape from it. Don't you want to escape from it? Huh? All your gods. your entertainments, your rituals, your reading the Gita, the Upanishads, whatever the, whatever that book you call sacred, which is not sacred at all, but just printed word which you make sacred. And so you, es- you escape from it, trying to find comfort in something. Comfort in an idea, in a picture, in a concept, in some hope. Escape and move away from the fact of what is. And the very moving away from what is, is the beginning of sorrow. You understand this? So I see that. So it's not a determination not to escape, but the fact that escape does not solve the problem of sorrow. On the contrary, escape becomes a neurotic activity. So the mind, having an insight into escape and the futility of escape, comes back to the fact of suffering. Therefore there is no escape. You following? It's not that I have determined not to escape, but I see the futility of escape. Then 
I see also that any form of overcoming sorrow is still another waste of energy. Are you following all this? So I, my mind sees the waste of energy in the search of sorrow, cause of sorrow, in all the multiple escapes the mind, thought has invented, and a thousand escapes, subtle forms, and seeing that, seeing the, the futility, the uselessness, because you can't escape from something that is always there. You can cover it up, you can run away from it, you can hide it, but it's there. And so the mind's, my mind says, all right, I want it. Naturally, I, there is no escape. So there is no overcoming it, there is no rationalizing it, which are all forms of escapes. Right? Are we meeting each other? Please do this. Not just merely listen to the speaker, what he's saying, but listen to the words, find out the meaning of it, whether it has significance, and do it as you're sitting there. Then what, have, what has my mind left? There is the fact of sorrow, not only the sorrow personal sorrow, but also this vast sorrow of human beings, the collective sorrow, as there is a collective degeneracy, which this country is an expert at. I am not comparing this country with other countries, I am just taking the fact of this country, non-comparative. Don't say, on the other countries degenerate. Of course they are, but we are talking about India, you. So when you say, on other countries degenerate too, you are merely escaping and avoiding the fact that you are. It's like saying to a politician, aren't you, aren't you corrupt? He says, we are not as corrupt as the other country. <laughs> yes, you laugh. That very laughter indicates that you are escaping the, from the fact that you are not facing corruption in your life. So, what has happened? My mind has had a tremendous shock which is suffering, and it is trying to escape from it, run away from it, avoid it. And the escape, the avoidance, the flight of, away from it is the wasting of energy. And the mind needs energy, vitality, 
to understand the suffering. You know? Are we doing this? It's no good my talking if you're not doing it. This is a serious thing, not just a, a thing that you play with. So what takes place? There is no escape, there is no rationalization. I don't say it's my, my, it's my karma, but that doesn't solve the fact. So, no escape of any kind, verbally or theoretically or actually. So what have you left? Is the sorrow that one is feels <coughs> is there an entity that is wanting to resolve that sorrow you understand look i'm not escaped at all now i've finished all escapes And is there a movement in me, a thought, that says, I must go beyond it? I, must, I can't tolerate this. I must, I must go beyond it. I must end it. That means the entity is different from sorrow. Right? Right? Have you understood? And is the entity different from sorrow? Or the entity is sorrow? Right? Therefore, when the entity is the sorrow, there is no conflict about it. Therefore, there is no escape. It is. And then what takes place? You understood my question? Do please. It's fun. It is tremendously important for you to understand this. I wish I could exchange it all with you, but you can't, unfortunately. What takes place when there is no escape physically, psychologically, trying to find out a cause, no avoidance of it, and seeing that the very entity who is attempting to understand sorrow is sorrow, then what takes place? Don't learn this by heart. Then it will be another 
chapter of your second-hand life. What takes place when all movement of thought which tries to escape from the fact of this ache, this sense of anxiety, this great acquaintance with grief, without any escape to, for that for that reality, then what comes out of that? The third extract is from Krishnamurti's third talk in Madras, 1966, titled Fear Cannot Be Understood If There Is Any Form of Escape. How do you meet this challenge of fear? Not when you go home, not at tomorrow, but you are afraid. Each one of us has fear, conscious or unconscious. If it is unconscious, revive it, bring it out into the open, expose it. And when you have exposed it, how do you meet it? It's really quite difficult to answer that how you meet the fear that has been exposed. That is, if you really want to expose it to yourself, and most of us don't want to expose it, because we are so scared, we are so frightened, we don't know what to do with it. We are so used to running away from it. through words, through, through, oh, so many networks of escapes we have. And so probably most of us are incapable to expose the fears that we have, not to somebody else, but to yourself. Now, when you have exposed it to yourself, you have already, it has already become very simple. You understand what I mean? At least you know you are afraid. There is no escape from it. If one is afraid of death, without escaping from it, theories, beliefs, reincarnation, hope, you know, dozens and dozens of ways mind escapes from that actual fact. 
then you know you are afraid. And you have no escape. And that becomes a simple fact, doesn't it? It's only when you escape, then the complexity begins. I'm afraid of my wife, husband. I have defences, and those defences are pleasure and all the rest of it, which we'll go into another time. And I have avoided it. I have never said, look, I am afraid of my husband, wife. And when I realise that, it is becomes an extraordinary fact, a simple fact. I don't know how to deal with it, but it is there. Now, can one expose these fears to oneself? Old age, ill health, you know, the, the innumerable fears that one has. You can't expose all of them. One can if one has the intention. But at least you can expose one. the nearest and the dearest fear. And you are with it. Now, how do you deal with it? How do you come into contact? What do you do with it? First of all, can you look at it without any turning away from it? Without trying to avoid it, to overcome it, to, without condemning, just to look at it. Can you? You know, what is an avoidance of a fact, what it means to avoid a fact. <coughs> Do you know how cunning the mind is? When it is avoiding a fact. Either it is justifying it, saying, how can I live in this world if I am not afraid? Justifying it or condemning it. Or trying to escape from it. <coughs> or the very word fear creates the fear, gives depth to the fear. You are following all this? 
Most of us know what it means to be lonely. You know, to be lonely. Suddenly to find yourself cut off from everything, from every relationship, from every contact, complete isolation. I'm sure you've all felt this. You may be married and so-called happily, you may be travelling in in a bus or in a tube, I mean in the underground, what do you call it, whatever it is, and suddenly feel completely lonely. And that breeds fear. Now, I, I'm going to go through that, examine it, intellectually first, and then we'll see what happens. I'm lonely. I don't like the feeling of it. Terrible feeling. Because I don't know what to do with it. It has suddenly come upon me, and I'm caught in it. And I run away from it. I begin to talk, I begin to look at a newspaper, turn on the radio, go to the church, uh, oh, amuse myself ten different ways. This escape from it creates conflict. Obviously, the fact is there, and I'm running away from it, and the, the flight from it is the fear, right? The flight from it, not there is no fear when I look at it. It is only there is fear when I move away from it. And I'm used to that. I don't know what it means to look at this emptiness, loneliness. And I have known all my life to run away anything which, from which, which I don't like, whether it is somebody whom I don't like, or with some idea, some purpose, some thought, some, you know, push away, run away, build a defence, that's all I know. And now I say to myself, I won't do that, because it doesn't solve anything, it's there. It's like a wound, festering. It's no good putting a covering over it. I must heal it, I must understand it, I must get through it, finish it. So I won't. It is not a determination that say I won't escape. 
Because if you say, I will not escape, then it is a resistance against escape. And therefore that breeds another conflict. I don't know if you are following all this. If I don't do any of that, then I can look at that emptiness, at that loneliness. Because I am not condemning it, I am not justifying it, it is there. Like the rain that's falling on the tent, it is there. Whether I like it or don't like it, it's a fact. Then I can look at it. Now, how I look at it is the most important thing. Not how you escape from it. That's we all know. That's too infantile. That's been done for thousands and thousands of years. That I brush aside because that's no value at all. Because <coughs> <coughs> I'm a I'm a serious person. I want to go through with it. I want to understand it and go beyond it. I'm not a trivial person a frivolous person. It's only the frivolous, not serious, that runs away and therefore creates more and more and more problems. Therefore what is important now is how I look at it. Because if I know how to look at it, I've resolved it. How do I look at it? First, I see it something outside of myself. That's what we all do. Something away from me, an object outside of me. Me is different and there it is, this loneliness, this isolation. When I look at it that way, the observer then tries to do something about it, tries to condemn it, tries to alter it, tries to overcome it, tries to identify itself with it. Please follow all this. It's very simple, if you know. Please be very simple. Because this is a, life is a tremendously complex problem, tremendously complex, and you can only understand it if you are very, very, very simple, not childish, but you are very simple, taking facts as they are. Then you can, then you can go with it beyond it and above it and transcend it. Then you are out. So, the observer says, I am afraid, is outside of it. Therefore he begins to operate on it, consciously or unconsciously. 
But is the observer different from the thing observed? Please follow this carefully. If the observer is different, he wouldn't be able to recognize it. Right? You understand? I must be familiar with you to recognize you. I must know you, and I can say you are so and so. But if I don't know you, I have no re contact, I have no relationship, I don't know you. But the observer knows, recognizes this feeling of emptiness, loneliness. Therefore, because he recognizes it, he is part of it. You are getting this? Therefore, the observer who recognizes it as fear knows already what fear is, otherwise you can't recognize it. Therefore, the observer is that emptiness, that loneliness, right? Then what can the observer who observes who is that loneliness what can he do? No, no, please don't intellectually answer. What can he do before he was active in doing something about it? But suddenly he realizes that loneliness is himself. What can he do? Obviously, he can't do anything. Therefore, Total inaction takes place. You understand? Total inaction. Because he can't do anything. And out of that total inaction, the thing that was is not, which is the most positive action. I wonder if you are getting all this. The positive action has been escape from what is. The what is is the observer's seer, and the observer can do nothing about it <coughs> because it is himself. I don't think we see the beauty of this. The beauty of total inaction with what is. And the beauty is the total action which comes into being when there is total inaction. Most of us, beauty is something 
outside the object is beautiful the mountain the tree the house the face the river the sky of a night the moon among the stars the object and this appreciation of the object as beauty or not beauty is what we call positive action and to me that is not beauty at all that's only a very small small part the on the periphery beauty is this total inaction and out of that total inaction there is an action which is so positive not in the sense of positive and the negative and that beauty doesn't depend on any outward object and it is only such a mind that knows total inaction that can see what freedom is and therefore is free The final extract in this episode is from the fourth discussion in Sanan 1965, titled Escapes Dissipate Energy. This is the only life one has. And in this life there is such misery, such confusion, anxiety, this, you know, all that's going on in each one of us. Ill health, disease, death, wanting to be well, and all that is going on and on and on. A mind that is so tormented. And being tormented, one wants to find naturally a way out of all this. But to find a way out of all this may be an escape. Therefore one has to be exceedingly careful not to escape. Therefore one has to find out what escape means. Right? I may say, I don't want to escape, but I may be escaping all the time. Are you? So, I have to find out what, how, uh, the mind has to find out how it is escaping. One sees the first escape is to verbalize. First escape is to be aware of this 
movement of the total consciousness, and the escape comes when you say, I like it, I don't like it. Or say, that is jealousy, this is anger, this is greed, this is the observer, this is condemnation, this is justification. Any movement away from the fact verbal movement, a movement of condemnation, justification or interpretation is an escape. And that's what we are doing all the time. So, escape is degeneration of the energy that is needed to face the fact, right? Whether I deliberately escape through amusement, through sex, through drink, through marijuana or this or that, a deliberate escape is an avoidance of the fact and I see that escape is dissipating energy. And I need that complete energy to face the fact. So the, I, to understand the fact, there must be no escape. Therefore I don't escape. Right? There is no escape. I don't know if I'm... Not how am I to stop escaping but I, one un realizes, one understands, doesn't matter how, what word you use, that any form of escape as condemnation, as verbalization, as justification, as saying, I don't like it, I like it, it is pleasure, it is pain, I want to escape, all that form of escapism is the dissipation of energy. So the mind realizes the dissipation of energy and therefore through escape and therefore there is no escape. So you don't condemn. You don't justify you. You are concerned with with the fact of what is. Because there is no interpretation and therefore no trying to say, well, I don't like it. Because condemnation, justification and all the rest of it is based on the, the, on pleasure, on the idea that it will give you pain and not that it will give you pleasure. Therefore all that, the seeing of all that is, the, is naturally focusing all energy to observe the fact alone. The fact is what is. Now, just a minute, just a minute. To observe the fact 
devotees, is there a distance between the observer and the thing which is? You are following? I am escaping, right? Through worship, through reading, through God knows what, I am escaping. And I suddenly, because I've, you have talked to me, and I suddenly realize how absurd it is. And so my energy is centered, focused. I am going to show you something. Please listen. And is there another form of dissipation of energy? And I discover there is much more than mere escape into something infantile, as fame, success and all that. I discover, the mind discovers, that between the what is and the observer there is a space. There is a distance. That distance is a dissipation, because that involves time. So, to a, when there is a total cessation, naturally, voluntarily, easily, without denying and all the rest of it, then there is not the space, but only the fact, not as the observer looking at the fact. As the, if there is an observer looking at what is, then there is a distance. Then that distance is a waste of energy, which involves time. So. I discover, mind discovers how extraordinarily subtle these forms of escapes are. And in discovering the subtle escapes, the mind itself has become extremely subtle and sensitive, right? So, an extreme sensitivity and subtleness is necessary to, not necessary, is, there must be that to observe the fact. Now, proceed a little further. Then the fact becomes unimportant. What is important is the mind that is looking at the f what is, not the fact. Right? No. Look. Look at that tree. What is important? 
the mind that looks at that tree. The tree has its own importance, but when you are looking at that tree, when there is no movement of any kind, therefore complete energy, which means highest form of sensitivity and extremely swift in its movement, then you will see that facts have very little meaning. What? I'm angry, all right, I'm finished. I won't be... it's the end of it. Not that I must end anger, that's too silly. In understanding this whole process, the mind has become extraordinarily alive, sensitive, subtle. And now, it is not partially sensitive, fragmentarily sensitive, as an artist, as a poet, as a writer, as a uh, whatever it is, but it is sensitive, all totally. And a mind that is sensitive has no movement at all. So such a mind has no time. It is the essence of time, but no time. Right? Now, that is the now. That means living in complete emptiness, an emptiness that is tremendously active, because the mind is not just gone to sleep and empty like a cup, but a mind that is empty because it has no movement. And from there, or rather, that functions. You follow? However, then the question arises is it possible to live a daily life of going to the office? all the rest of the business, with that state. You follow? Because that is the now. That is the very essence of time which is of no time. And is it possible 
to live a daily life with that mind. 